presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright. I'm chairman of the board of Common Sense Institute. Thank you for joining us. In December, CSI released a second annual free enterprise report. The report serves as a summary of the key issues impacting the state's economy and the findings from CSI's research projects. The report is released in conjunction with Free Enterprise Summit. This year's summit was a great success. It was hosted by at Empower Field at Mile High Stadium. Our guests today spoke on a panel ahead of Arthur Brooks, who delivered an exceptional speech to all of us who participated He's the former head of American Enterprise Institute and an inspirational thought leader on freedom, happiness, and free enterprise. My guests today are Evelyn Lim, the CSI 2022 Free Enterprise Fellow, Kelly Caulfield, CSI Executive Director, and Chris Brown, CSI Vice President of Policy and Research. Welcome back to all of you. It's great to have you on the podcast. Kelly, uh, let's start with you. In the recently released 2023 Free Enterprise Report show, what is the bottom line? The bottom line of the 2023 Free Enterprise Report, which was really a Common Sense Institute's second ever Free Enterprise Report, was Colorado policymakers will be facing tough decisions with continued high inflation and a potential recession on the horizon, and that a reprioritization of key issues and a return to the principles of free enterprise is really necessary. But maybe perhaps walking back a little bit, I want to talk a bit more about how the Free Enterprise Report was really conducted. And it was really looking at two different things, Earl. We were trying to do an assessment of the past year, 2022. How did the state of Colorado fare across a variety of key indicators and measures across all of our eight policy issue areas? Crime, education, transportation, water, housing. And then we also did an outlook rating what is our best prediction of where the state is going in those eight areas as well? And when we looked at those eight issue areas for 2022, it really showed that the state is pretty close to the middle. But there were a few exceptions that I really wanted to note here, primarily in terms of economy and jobs. That was a very positive rating as we looked at 2022. But there are challenges. The affordability of health care, energy, and housing – Due to the lack of affordability and growing crime, those topics received lower ratings, and that holds the state's larger economic competitiveness back. And I think we'll be talking about this a little bit more later, but as we look to that future outlook, so I just tried to recap what 2022 looked like, but as we look to 2023, a lot of our ratings were neutral because a lot of the uncertainty that we're seeing in the market, continued challenges with inflation, the recession, that a lot of us are already feeling. But we believe with the right policies and the right priorities, we can get the ship turned around and hopefully back on track. Interesting. But um, I want to follow up, if I could, on jobs and economy score of four last year, but the negative, it has a negative outlook for 2023. Give us a little bit more detail on how come we're negative. Um, I understood the crime. I understand we might have a uh, a recession. But what else is kind of weighing down on Colorado that might be unique to Colorado? You're absolutely right. 
Earl, the state generally had very positive employment scores. We were seventh for employment growth, 11th in post-pandemic employment recovery, extremely high labor force participation. But the challenges that we're seeing here in Colorado are pretty similar to other parts of the country in terms of the growing cost of living life here and the challenges with inflation. And even though we're seeing inflation starting to recede just slightly, the challenges here in Colorado are stark. And Common Sense Institute is always going to analyze the impact to Colorado families, to Colorado businesses. Looking at some of CSI's recent reports about the challenges due to inflation, I think two talking points and two key data points that show the pain go back to just the end of last year. The average Colorado household spent $1,700 more due to inflation. That's an average of $865 per month. And another interesting way our economists looked at the pain a lot of Colorado households are experiencing is, what's the increase in the cost of just raising a child? Looking from birth to age 18, since 2015, that percentage increase is 26%. So Earl, those are some of the impacts we're feeling in Colorado. And we hope that our policymakers at the state legislature are thinking about this. One of the things that we did in the past, uh, Kelly, and and, uh, maybe Evelyn wants to chime in too, is that we, uh, I guess, have gotten rid of the Gallagher Amendment. And by getting rid of that uh, with the housing prices that have increased rather significantly here, and I think probably more so here than many other parts of the country, I would probably guess that we're in a top quartile of appreciation of housing prices in the last four years, you know, I'm not looking forward to my property taxes uh, that I may be paying this year or next year. Is that going to be a bit of a drag on Colorado when you have the average uh, individual out there maybe looking at something that could be, I don't know, 10, 15% higher? That means less groceries on the table or less money for the education of our children, uh, Any thoughts, uh, Evelyn? I think that's a really insightful thing you mentioned because what we've seen in the past couple sessions is that the legislature and the governor has really pushed to pause these property tax increases because they've realized how much property has increased in Colorado and that these property tax bills will will become significantly higher and, and probably what more than what most people can afford. And so we've seen a pause uh, on that. And I think when they're instituted at what they normally would be, I think a lot of people will be surprised. But right now we have a two-year pause that was passed in the last session on property taxes. I, you know, I think for housing, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's a really big priority. I was really pleased to hear the governor um, say that that was one of his uh, priorities this year. We saw the legislature, when they just opened, announced their SB1, which is an indication of what the Senate's priorities would be. And I think everybody's taking a real, really critical look at how they can address affordability in housing. And so, you know, I think that that's a positive. I think that we've seen a lot of big funding bills pass. And so when we're looking at what policymakers can prioritize, maybe it's really looking at policy changes versus some of these big funding bills. And we've seen that in transportation. We've seen that 
in housing, uh, we really should be looking at how we're implementing those types of things before we start passing huge funding bills again. You know, being a, a homeowner here in Colorado, I also look at my utility bill. And my utility bill and the cost per kilowatt hour has gone up enormously, in my opinion, in the last four years. It's gone up again last year. What in the world is going on? If it's not natural free market activities, what is it that's causing my utility bill to increase significantly? And again, I look at that, and Evelyn, I'm lucky I can probably afford that. But there's a lot of people that that increased utility bill, as well as increased water bill, is taking food off the table, is taking money out of their accounts that they can use for education. What's going on? So for, you know, your utility bills in particular, that's really a factor of prior legislation that has passed and is now being implemented. So the legislature, you know, passed their greenhouse gas emission reduction priorities. And so we've seen the utility companies really try to implement these uh, greenhouse gas emission targets. And so that's going to come out in, in your utility bill. So we've seen rate increases at the Public Utilities Commission, which regulates the utilities. Some of them are for, you know, these cold snaps where natural gas, gas prices have increased. But, but generally, a lot of these utility increases are because they are trying to meet those greenhouse gas emission goals. So they're updating their their infrastructure in order to address the targets for more renewable energy. They are, um, you know, and that includes updating transmission lines and everything that brings your utility to your house. But also it is reflecting their priority to get more renewable energy and rely less on fossil fuels. So so our, we have the lowest rating I, that I can remember that we've had in the report, and it's not very positive. But this is all from what I, I just heard you say. This is primarily due to actions we've taken as a state that have said, hey, we are going to cause these rates to go up. We're going to cause higher utility bills because we feel that we have to pursue a green energy policy. And so the public get ready to pay for it. Is that what I hear you saying? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Um, well, doesn't that create, a, in Colorado, an unusual economic disadvantage to other states that may be having a bit of a different perspective on how they would handle these issues? Absolutely. I, th I think that's correct. And, and I've compared Colorado to California in terms of its goals and how it, it would like to meet these renewable energy trends. And so, you know, I think the interesting thing is that it's not stopping. So we will continue to see requests from, at the PUC for, for rate increases from the utility companies in Colorado. Uh, I think, you know, we saw last session the legislature passed the energy codes, which they've put together their board. So they're looking into the future to see how we can reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the building sector. And so they're trying to, through the energy codes, reduce the reliance on fossil fuels. And we've seen Denver just recently pass a green energy code, which is above and beyond what the legislature passed. So they would like to get their building sector to be net zero 
in the coming years. And so I think all of this coupled together is just going to continue to see increased prices for utility payers in the future. Well, you brought up Denver, and it might be a good transition, Chris, to talk about the work that we have done uh, in crime. I'm astonished by the rise in crime in the communities on the Front Range. The other thing I just am, I have been blown away by is, I don't know if you all know it or not, but there is a recent report that Denver, Colorado, is the worst place in the United States to raise an American family. <laughs> I, I don't know how much that has to do with, they say crime, they say homelessness. What does the report say about crime? And uh, what is the outlook that we see at the present time? Bottom line is it's, it's unfortunate that this is a topic that we have to feature as part of a report on free enterprise. But if people are not feeling secure in their communities. They're not feeling as though their property is secure in their communities. This has lasting and compounding impacts for generations as a result of uh, impacts on education, on business investment. We started reporting on this late 2021 as we saw elevated crime rates through 2021, as many projected. You were a forerunner then. I don't remember much in the national news in 2021 about crime, but it seems that's all I hear about today. Is it, is it fair to say that uh, as far as highlighting that, uh, you were right on the front edge of that of that that analysis and reporting? Well, I'm, I'm always happy to take a compliment from you, Earl, uh, <laughs> and pat ourselves on the back. I think we were recognizing trends. I think it's, again, just an unfortunate anecdote. Uh, we, you know, maybe more information than you're asking here, but we, how do we select our research generally is looking at major policy issues, major concerns, talking with a lot of stakeholders. However, in this leading into that report and taking on crime, we had four separate incidents among our team of, of research analysts and economists and our executive staff of breaking and entering catalytic converter stolen vehicles broken into in on hikes downtown uh, at lunch at our office one of our our interns narrowly missed being in the exact location where there was a shooting near the Rockies game if you remember this uh, a couple of years back and so uh, that really heightened our awareness of this issue and there were some others reporting on it but it became personal and we wanted to understand the implications so we started we modeled the cost and the impacts found that the total cost to Coloradans was more than $30 billion in the cost of crime. As you look at direct costs, wait, wait, wait. What, what's the budget for Colorado? What is our budget? The state, the state budget is north of 35 billion. So it's close to the amount of the budget that we spend for the public is it, the it's, cost it's of more than $5,000. 5 million or 5 billion. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So for more than five thousand per Coloradan. So, but but it's an equivalent cost when you look at it. Now, a lot of that is in the quality of life. It's sort of in these intangible costs, which we modeled and replicated from a national report. But it just really highlights, I think, the burden that a lot of Coloradans are feeling. And and this is included in in violent crime and, and crimes against persons, but also in property crime. And and we've seen this conversation elevated now 
We expect in this coming legislative session more significant reforms and a, and a renewed focus on one particular area that Colorado really stands out, that we have the highest, the, the number one uh, rate for auto theft, the highest rate of auto theft in the country, and it continues to climb. And so we think there needs to be really strong look at the system in aggregate and, and not just getting mired in conversations of is the, is, the, is the level of sentencing accurate or appropriate, but really are people being held accountable uh, in a way that is deterring, deterring further action? And I think all Coloradans are demanding this. So it, it is unfortunate that, that this is an issue, but it's, it's critical to a flourishing free enterprise system. Well, one of the areas of Colorado, Chris, that I have bragged others about and encouraged others in surrounding states to come to Colorado is health care. I thought some of the health care that we provided here is as good as what you could find on the coast. And now I see that we downgraded it. What in the world is going on that I could have been wrong, but Anschutz is still magnificent. Uh, you've still got other incredibly good uh, uh, you know, caregivers here in the state. I think probably some of the best in the country, and particularly as part of the, this part of the country. Why did we downgrade health care? What's going on? It's a great question. And there's a couple different dimensions to understanding the healthcare sector as we analyze it. And, and as you point out, when you look at the network, the hospital and the provider networks, Colorado does consistently score relatively high. We have strong healthcare systems, largely making large investments in research capacity, qualified doctors in many, in many areas of the state. We do have issues similar to other parts of the country that have rural areas. We have physician shortages and in, in many parts of our uh, rural communities, but the, the downgrade was largely as a result of, of changes we're seeing and expect to see as it relates to this, going back to the question of affordability, the costs for consumers in premiums, in, in what we expect private insurance carriers to be charged as a result of some cost shifting that will occur uh, as a result of the creation of a Colorado option plan, which further caps rates for certain uh, insurance products. And, and we can go into more detail there. But it's a result of the impact on the consumer side, the affordability, which will largely impact quality and access going forward. So we do have at the moment, you know, relatively high quality, but we've seen, again, one data point, carrier rates, premiums in the marketplace went up twice as much as the national average that we saw just coming out of rates two months ago. So we're seeing it in the numbers and we expect in the, in the future, the recent policy changes here to have a disproportionate impact and, and really change our trajectory from the national average. I can't let that go by without it. 10% higher? And again, uh, 100%. You know, the, the rate of growth was twice as fast as the national average. Our insurance, our premiums in the, in the benchmark premium in the individual market went up a little more than 8%. The national average was four. How come? A lot of reasons. I, you know, that one is not something we fully dissected. I think there's a lot of determinants there. So I don't have a single answer for you, to be honest. Are there fewer providers now than we had before? We have lost providers. There's so there's less competition. fewer carriers. So I could raise, I don't have to worry as much if I raise my rates, I'm going to lose customers or folks that will buy my insurance. That's just speculation on my part, of course. 
it all influences it 100%. All right. Well, look, we're being pretty negative, and I, I, there have got to be bright spots here in what side for the report. Uh, I'd like to hear uh, Kelly and Chris uh, talk about some of those uh, bright spots uh, for 2023 in the economy. Kelly, let's pass the ball over to you. What are some of those bright spots? Thanks, Earl. You know, I'm going to focus in on higher ed and workforce development. You cannot avoid a conversation right now with an employer, big or small, any industry or sector, and not talk about a workforce shortage. Challenge in identifying skilled talent and retaining workers in today's climate. So I think we see some optimism and and some positive strides happening. The governor recently announced, I think just last week, an additional investment in short-term training in our most in-demand fields. This is primarily going to happen to the community college system, but he talked about healthcare, advanced manufacturing, construction, allied health, and other healthcare jobs was a focus of last year. So that's something that we're watching with some optimism and hope that that kind of investment will pay off. And there was also a dedication of federal stimulus dollars last year that's starting to play out this year through a competitive grant called Opportunity Now. And I know that many partners of Common Sense Institute are looking at that pot of money to really innovate to address skills gap. So those are some things that bring me some hope for this year. That all sounds great. And forgive me being a little bit uh, of a skeptic when it comes down to programs. I guess the concern I've always had with uh, programs uh, where in free enterprise, if it doesn't deliver, guess what? It costs you profits and you have to figure out how to how to uh, reallocate your resources if you still have them. Give me some sense, if you would, Kelly, if you care to wander into this uh, uh, this question. What are the chances that we will have an accountability on these programs and the monies that we're spending that we're getting the results that we would hope to achieve and there would be a monitoring of it and then maybe a reassessment, which is normally what we do in free enterprise, and that seems to be what we're focusing on here. I think that's an excellent question, Earl. And as Common Sense Institute thinks about research priorities this year, that has to be front and center. We've talked a lot about tremendous investment from the federal level in our public workforce development system. Similarly, at the state level, significant investments in job training, higher education infrastructure, K-12. And similar to CSI's dollars and data from a K-12 perspective, I think we can really welcome that conversation and cast a, a wider net to try to better understand the ROI on the investment of the stimulus dollars, of these grant programs that I'm talking about, so that we can track and better understand where did the money go and did it lead to some systems-level changes and how we use those kinds of dollars. That's, that's really encouraging. So you're saying that we as a, as a I guess, an NGO, a you know, philanthropic organization, we see as part of our duty as to how effective are these programs and then I guess the measurement of effectiveness, you plan to take that information and share it with whom? It's a great question, Earl. We have to widely disseminate these findings. And I think the state and the ecosystem of business, civic leaders, and other nonprofits that we partner with would really be hungry for this information. And I believe even a lot of our state agencies, we've had some preliminary conversations with the Department of Higher Education and, and other entities, and and they're asking this question too. What are the benefits of different 
post-secondary and workforce pathways, which ones have the highest value? And could the state be more focused on data? We're information-rich, data-poor. We don't have the data systems right now that connect K-12 to higher ed in the workforce. So I believe with strong results, both on the business and government side, there'll be a lot of interested ears and could lead to some pretty impactful conversations at the state level about how we are truly examining ROI and perhaps which programs deserve the most investment. Kelly, thank you. Talking about business and ROI, uh, there are a lot of people that are innovators, entrepreneurs, small business owners, leaders in the free enterprise system in Colorado. Chris, we're all impacted by inflation. We see a potential recession, a lot of conversation about it. We have no idea if it will materialize, be mild, be you know severe. Uh, Macro-level challenges are impacting the affordability and the cost of doing business in the state. I can certainly attest to that as the president of a holding company and chairman of the board of our bank. But outside of what we have already discussed, what do you see as the top regulatory changes impacting the ability to do business here? You know, I answered this and and talked about this on the panel a little bit, and I'm not dodging your question, but I think... I won't let you, so try anyway. Yeah, keep, yeah please please fo- ask a follow-up here. But as I thought about it, you know, as you kind of, as through our work, we often analyze and, and, our, and our focus is analyzing individual issues, individual policy issues, understanding the economic impacts, communicating that, educating around that. But the focus of this report, the Free Enterprise Report and this discussion, the genesis was largely because we saw an accumulation of issues, an aggregation of multiple areas that are changing, that are impacting Colorado's competitiveness. And I think you know, to listeners here or, or yourself in your business or you, as you talk to your colleagues or friends in other industries, they may be facing a different issue that is impacting them more than others, right? That, that every industry is facing a series of changes that... Uh, is cost is is impacting their cost of doing business and question you know raising questions about Colorado's competitiveness. So I think it's 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 not any single issue per se. I think there are some significant ones we've just seen come online and in paid family leave. We have a host uh, and many regulatory changes under, as Evelyn said, the uh, changes in our uh, regulation of greenhouse gas emissions and and statewide targets that are promulgating new rules across all industries trying to reduce the uh, level of greenhouse gas emissions across every sector in Colorado. You know, I think I'd, I'd echo or, or, or sort of articulate there's other reports and other organizations that have put out recent work following this study that the Colorado Chamber of Commerce just issued a report highlighting major competitive challenges because of affordability and regulations in Colorado. There are other organizations that have, have put this out. But I, I think there's one interesting thing that I want to talk a little about on the affordability question. And I, I recently, or just a few days ago, a, a local writer, uh, sort of thinker, uh, quoted Evelyn in the intro to the Free Enterprise Report. And I think these words are powerful when you consider the question of affordability. The, the legislature has has said that this is a top priority for addressing affordability in Colorado. And, you know, inflation and, and monetary issues are undoubtedly a national, a global issue, and there's limited things that the, that the legislature can do to address some of these concerns. But as Evelyn pointed out, around energy, around housing, around other regular, regulatory changes, there is an impact. I 
Another anecdote, for those that have gone grocery shopping in the last few weeks, you know egg prices have rocketed up. <laughs> um, while this is a national phenomenon, we dealt with an avian flu that, that we saw a large swath of chickens killed over the last several months. It's impacting everyone. Colorado simultaneously several years ago passed rules regulating uh, how the treatment of chickens and how they are raised. The same legislation and same rules were passed in California more than seven, eight years ago. And as an analysis following their implementations said that egg prices rose more than 30% following the introduction of that, legis- that, that rule. So while we are facing a national issue around egg prices at the moment, I would say Coloradans can expect elevated egg prices going forward given we, we see a state-specific rule change that will impact affordability. But to quote Evelyn and, and to put this piece by Ari Armstrong and, and his premise here is when thinking about affordability, the, his wording, the proper default should be freedom. And quoting Evelyn in the report, you know, at its heart, the free enterprise system is one in which people are free to make choices about what's best for their own particular circumstances and needs. You know, individuals are free to work in roles that play to their strengths. Businesses can compete to provide goods and services that cater to their customers and markets are able to bring people together to transact. Those countless decisions and interactions, when taken collectively, make up our free enterprise system, which has proven to be the greatest economic engine in history and lifted billions out of extreme poverty. And so then to quote Ari, freedom is affordable. And I think that is the should be the default. And, and when looking at issues, when when we see perceived problems and regulators are going to attempt to try to fix those problems, we need to consider, again, this default. How are we improving market and freedom and allowing people to make better choices for themselves in their own circumstances, which over the long run, I think, is going to improve Colorado's competitiveness, reverse some of the trends that we've seen. And I'm glad you know, that, that this team and working with Evelyn and, and, and Kelly to sort of champion that idea is is a big part of our work and our and our efforts. I must admit, I, I don't have rebuttaled anything you're saying that I can uh, hold you to uh, task. I think I appreciate your thoroughness in answering the question. Evelyn, um, I guess the, the, in light of what Chris said, what do you see some of the long-term issues that the state's facing that if we focus on them now, we're more likely to avoid them? or we're more likely to take advantage of opportunity. I just want to highlight also, because this was the second year of this free enterprise report that CSI put out, and it was it was really interesting kind of p- talking to stakeholders and, and pulling all this information together. And uh, before I answer your question, I just wanted to say, you know, we were talking to people and they said, well, we really need to explain what free enterprise is, because a lot of people don't know what that means. And here we are writing a whole report on on what that is. And we want to dif- differentiate this report from, you know, the others that look at competitiveness. It's really looking at all these sectors and how well they're implementing this free market idea for the benefit of all Coloradans. And so I think it's really important just to highlight the great work that Common Sense Institute does for this, because it is the greatest economic engine uh, that has brought billions out of poverty. 
I think what we need to remember is that if we continue to focus on these free enterprise ideals, then then really the market can help everybody in the community. And so, you know, I, w- I wanted to talk a, a little bit about some of the things that we can look out in the future. And to answer your question, I think um, some of the things that I think policymakers and the governor should focus on is is this idea of infrastructure. So, you know, we have for years have underinvested in our infrastructure uh, for our our roads and our bridges, which everybody knows, and our, our water treatment facilities. We've seen increased growth in population, which has added further stress to these systems. And so I think one of the things that we should continue to focus on is infrastructure. As I mentioned earlier, the, the legislature had passed their big infrastructure bill, uh, one of the things that I always like to highlight is that, you know, a bill isn't the end of it, right? There's always the implementation aspect of it, which is, you know, can be even more important. And so I think we should always look at how the state is implementing that. There's a lot of things that we can be doing that would increase um, our maintenance and we can add to our um transportation systems that are really needed right now. And then also, I I just want to highlight the report that Common Sense Institute did with their Terry J. Stevenson fellows in 2022, which was on the on water, which is a big, big issue here in Colorado, but it affects all the other states that get their water from and Mexico that get their water from the Colorado uh, River. And so, you know, that was just, I think, the beginning of of how we should be talking about water, but it's it's one of these long-term issues that we need to focus on in order to look at affordability, impacts affordability, but also what policymakers need to be looking at and so it doesn't become a huge, huge problem later on. Thank you, Evelyn. I would like to add a little something here to get the three of you to maybe respond in your closing comments. What I heard described today was that Colorado was really progressed really quite well out of the pandemic. And we had incredible success getting back our labor force, the revenue level, uh, but yet there are a lot of things that could be a headwind for our future. You talked about affordable housing. I can tell you that uh, I know firms that are trying to recruit outside of Colorado because they can't find the folks in Colorado and people won't come here because of the cost of uh, housing relative to where they were, as well as the uh, crime and homeless issue that has scared some of them. That's daunting. But yet I look at the talent we have in Colorado. Uh, we have an amazing venture capital base. We have, I think, exceptional business base. But we also have a downtown that is not all that, uh, uh, I guess, responsive to what needs to be done to have our capital city be as nice as we would like. What closing comments do you all have with regards uh, to free enterprise, and I'm going to hold you to about 30 seconds each or less. Kelly? I think 2023 is a real opportunity to think about free enterprise principles at both a state level and a local level. Earl, you mentioned Denver. I think we have a huge opportunity this year. We have a number of key municipal elections happening. Denver, Aurora, Fort Collins, Springs, Grand Junction, Pueblo. And I think CSI should should keep our eye on on those balls as well and, and ensure free enterprise at the local level. Exactly. Good idea. Sure, Chris. My concluding remark would be: those listening, if you haven't already picked up the Free Enterprise Report, 
and thumbed through it at the very least, looked at some of the issue areas, engaged with some of the subject matter, encourage you to do that and, and really start thinking about these issues in aggregate across other sectors that, that may have some tangential impacts on you. So, you know, my pitch is, is um, uh, engage with this work. I think and get share engaged, it. And get engaged with your local officials. Absolutely. Evelyn. I'm just going to really echo that because I think one of the great things that CSI does is provide not only the free enterprise report, but there's a whole host of reports that basically look at these issues really in depth. And I think that one of the things that people need to remember is that they're not passive, you know, individuals just under the um, hand of, of government that they really have a voice and that if they don't like the trajectory of the state, that they should speak up and speak with their elected officials and city council members and, and so on, because it really matters what they think and they have a voice. So carry a message and get involved. Absolutely. Thank you, all three of you. And thank you so much for the hard work that you do for us in the state and and uh, for the city and for, for us just average citizens. Thank you, Earl. Thanks, Earl. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.